Welcome to What's Left of the Watchmen, a Watchmen review podcast from a leftist perspective. I'm your host, Anthony Montrulo, joined here by my co-host, Comrade Dracula. Comrade, what's going on? I, I'm here. I'm ready. Uh, I'm excited. Last uh, review we did for the premiere, we didn't get a chance to actually record for a few, almost a week afterwards. Uh, and when we got it up online, it got um, one of the fastest uh view count Let's doing numbers we we've, we've had um surpassed some of our uh, our other show uh we do this uh, political show called move left idiots and usually that one gets the bulk of the uh of the view counts so uh we were pleasantly surprised so we are trying to get this out right away within about 24 hours of the episode airing episode two it was on last night um i we, we were sort of iffy about whether we were going to review every episode but we said you know if the if every episode is as good as the premiere, then we think it warrants that. So uh, I I thought the second episode was better than the pilot, honestly. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. Yeah, and it's crazy the numbers we did on that cast, and uh, you know we did a uh, Game of Thrones review for the eighth, you know, and final season of Game of Thrones. We reviewed every episode, and we did good numbers for that show, but I don't think we even approached anything close to what we did for Watchmen. So you know, thanks for everyone for listening. Uh, hopefully, you stick with us. We've uh, done a ton of movie reviews also you can go back and check our archives to look at that uh and obviously every thursday we do our uh news of the week political roundup uh from a leftist perspective so uh yeah if you like what you hear go check that out so uh yeah well, why don't we just get into the episode because uh oh i thought yeah, we were done i, I, I thought agree. that was we were closing it out yeah already. no so yeah, uh, yeah. we liked it i'm on twitter it we're underscore than- left we'll see <laughs> I think we said all uh, we need to say. Uh, yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, what else is there to really get into? Um, yeah, no. So, of, so this, <laughs> so, so this episode uh, was called "Martial Feats of Comanche Horsemanship," which is a play on Comanche feats of martial horsemanship, which is the painting actually uh, that we see uh, in um, uh, Judd's house. Uh, so. Which, you know, we later find out he, he may have, uh, th- th- there's some deeper meaning behind that when, when we get into what, what goes on during that scene later in the episode. But yeah, uh, so episode two, I think, it, yeah, incredibly somehow did uh, a lot more than the pilot, which, you know, I, I thought we, I think we both, you know, universally loved the pilot and loved the uh, just balls to the wall nature of it and and, and the lack of lack of fear when it comes to tackling things like white supremacy and and these themes that uh and you know like we were talking about white terrorism these themes that uh you, you wouldn't expect a major uh cable network to center a show around in 2019 considering how politically charged it is but mm-hmm. 
you know, they tackled it head on. So let's go, uh, we, let's go through each scene. Cause I think there's, you know, something interesting to talk about with each one. Um, so the, uh, opening scene that we get is, uh, Angela, uh, interrogating Will Reeves and, you know, it's, this is going to be one of the central mysteries of the show. Although as we discussed last week, you know, it's pretty, it's pretty obvious. They're at least teasing that he is the original hooded justice. Um, but what that means beyond that, uh, I don't know. I mean, obviously later in the episode, uh, we've learned that he is in fact, Angela's grandfather, but, um, I, I don't know. What do you, what do you make of, of this, this kind of opening, scene between them well i mean it's the the very first scene of course is the uh you know world war one and uh the the woman who can speak english is called in to, oh no to, of course yeah, yeah type that. up this um you know sort of propaganda to stoke racial division between uh u.s black troops and you know the the people who are spitting on them of course now they're, they're totally lying that you know black people have it better in germany that was total bullshit but you know they don't know that so yeah. uh and that's a total real totally real leaflet by the way word for word yeah uh, I, I i found out which i you know so that's incredible that, you know, <laughs> that that kind of speaks to who we're trying to figure out who who will really is you know because we see who he is as a child and we keep seeing these things that are you know uh guiding his view of the world you know the the, the yeah. pilot you know he sees all this carnage and but he's watching this movie about uh you know sort of lawful good justice and we assume that that's you know where he kind of began his life but we don't know what's happened to him as you know so if he really was hooded justice or a version even remotely similar to the uh, TV version that were shown, uh, which very much was uh, riffing on the, the Zack Snyder <laughs> version. Oh, 100%. Of Fucking the slow-mo leap through the glass window, the right. ultra-violence. Ultra-violence, yeah. Um, goofy voices, like, come on. <laughs> like, so, and at first I was like, oh, they're totally mocking it. And then I read, read some more and yeah. it was like, no, I totally loved it. It's just, you know, stylistically different what I would do. Yeah, he's got to say that. Come on. It's, it, it's totally course. a fucking... <laughs> you know, <laughs> but yeah, so we, it's it's very ambiguous because we if we if he really did kill the sheriff, was it for just reason or not, or is he the real villain of this show? We don't know it yet because obviously he really does have friends in high places uh, and seems to be able to to control things beyond the ability of uh, the police force, right? So uh, that that's the big question. So that'll sort of be the running thing is is he good or bad and is is angela good or bad you know she's clearly yeah. wrestling with how much she really does like to uh beat the shit out of, of these people or not but i think she's she's from what the series has shown us the most um unassailably good character like she like she obviously has violent tendencies because she's you know a victim of uh, trauma. She's had some severely traumatic, you know, experiences which have led her to being this, you know, sort of pseudo vigilante. I mean, she's a detective, but she, like this whole bizarre police structure where <laughs> detectives are all vigilantes. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, I, I think obviously, you know, it, it's hard to talk about their arc without talking about what happens to them at the end of the episode. But uh, it, it's going to be interesting to see where this goes with Will because. Um, well, you know, I'll I'll save my 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 thoughts for that last scene once we get to it. But it, it it's certainly interesting uh, what they're trying to to lead towards with us uh, with him. So 
uh, from there, we uh, we get this just a kind of little brief interstitial scene with the uh, dudes at the newsstand, which you know was just funny because it also introduced us to the uh, New Frontier, uh, which is the right wing newspaper that Rorschach uh, sent his uh, journals to in the Watchmen comic. So that's you know it, it, there and there's um, there's also a left wing paper that they mentioned there, but it, it's just a not another subtle nod to the comic but the comic used to use the uh newsstand scenes which they had you know several in the comics to kind of show how uh everyday people like working people were just reacting to the whole idea of like superheroes amongst them you know that was kind of just interstitial thing like as a through line throughout the comic so it's nice to see that the show is kind of paying subtle nods to that you know Sure, well, I think the guys it, it, exactly. the, uh, and you need that. I think too, too because <laughs> you've got just completely fantastical things happening that you're just like, how could this be normal, right? So you have to have a little bit of commentary on like how how people are reacting to to those things. We also get introduced to uh, presumably the daughter of a character that we've only haven't seen on the show yet, but we've seen in the in the previews. There's a, a older uh, Asian woman. And we're led to believe this is her daughter who's coming to uh, pick up these newspapers for her. So that's, you know, we'll, we'll see her again, obviously. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I'm not sure of her significance, although I'm sure she has some significance uh, to the comic, but um, so from there, we uh, see Angela at the scene of uh, Judd's hanging, you know, they're, they're, they're uh, creating a perimeter around the area and, doing their crime scene work uh, before they take him down. Uh, you know, obviously you have, you have the kind of absurdist comedy of, of all these paparazzi guys kind of like droning themselves in with these like moth wings to try to like snap pictures and then just getting the shit kicked out of them. It's a, it's just a very surreal kind of almost, you know, comical moment. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's, it's sort of, I mean, like visually sort of a, a call to uh, um, Mothman, who was one of the original uh, Minutemen, but just the idea yeah. that you could fly on like little wings that are like the size of your <laughs> you know arm. <laughs> uh, yeah. But yeah, I love that, you know, they, the guy that crashes has a bike helmet on and then Mealy gets his, gets beat up by, uh, by uh, Red Scare. Red Scare. Who, uh, quickly is becoming already our, my favorite character <laughs> yeah just because like you know he hasn't really had any characterization other than just being the most vocal and over the top and you know uh it's just the the this when when he's trying to like get everyone you know he doesn't he even says like well you know now that now that the the captain's dead who's in charge no one really knows so he just kind of like becomes the new leader essentially <laughs> yeah yeah because uh, he's the loudest voice in the room which is like, like oh you know we, we need to take a breath from for a second he's like you don't want to beat the shit out of these fucks she loves beating <laughs> shit out of these fucks <laughs> of course <laughs> looking glasses line is that much is undoubtedly true and <laughs> and it's just such an interesting uh dynamic because you know in this in this world i think that the country was kind of saved from the brink of the cult it 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 exists in such a weird space because alan moore wrote the comic at the height of the cold war right and the cold war ends when uh, in the comic when as when adrian veidt uh creates this this kind of false flag you know squid attack to bring all these countries together to unite them against a common enemy they think this interdimensional squid that's attacking them um 
so it's interesting from that perspective to go forward from there to a world where like there's a there's probably still a soviet union and they probably you know are our allies at this point so the, the the reason he's working you know over here is because he's just living in the states but, yeah. he, but he's you know so it's, it's, it's like just an, an interesting dichotomy program yeah like that uh, what was that yeah. movie with stallone and what's his name where or no it was arnold schwarzenegger wasn't it he has which, uh, which movie it was a 80s movie where it was it was exactly that it was like a like an officer exchange program and Arnold was like playing this this Russian cop in the US and it's like during the Cold War hmm. right was it a racer no no I don't think I didn't so. I, I, I haven't was, I haven't seen a ton of those was, movies but you know your typical 80s buddy cop um you know action comedy type movies but uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I just you know, and, and then of course you get the the great line where, where he's beating the shit out of the paparazzi guy. He calls him a Nazi. He's like, "I'm not the Nazi. I'm a communist." <laughs> like, oh, that that you know, just imagine the writer's room. Like, we're really gonna have him say that? I'm like, why not? <laughs> why 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 not just take it that? Like, far? Dude, I'm literally the exact fucking opposite. But okay. Yeah. Um, well, it, it also it's sort of like you know you would you would think that the politics don't match up, but it's like. You know, I mean, obviously there's police in the Soviet Union and, uh, you know, he's fighting on the same team or for the same gang as all these other cops. So it's like he, you know, it. But he's also he seems to, this is such a weird it's so hard to like as much as we talked about last week. And, and you know, I still I stand by what we said that this show is so obviously reflecting themes of of modern day, you know, real real america like not you know not just this fictionalized extrapolation of the alan moore universe but it's such a weird dichotomy where 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 the cops are their primary adversary are these you know far-right fundamentalist you know white terrorists basically um so it's kind of a weird dichotomy where like somebody like him seems to only be in it because he doesn't like like you know when he when he shows up later at nixon town he's like all right you fucking racist listen up and he like you know starts just going right. through this it, it seems like he is only there because he can't stand these fucking like nazi adjacent uh douchebags in in the uh cal seventh calvary and that's again gets to the heart of the show is you know what's the difference between a uh you know mask vigilante and a mask cop you know there really isn't one um and even though they're beating up the white supremacists they're still doing it indiscriminately he says oh some of you may be cavalry yeah, and some of you may not i don't give a shit i don't care about the difference and we're going to beat up all of you right so the, the police yeah. are still acting and angela very, has an issue with it at, in that scene too it's like yeah and then like, like it, it takes it like really. almost nothing before she snaps and and beats the hell out of him too but you know it's yeah. it's like but she was yeah again it's the, the police are still acting like fascist police Right. Like there's that. Yeah, it's not not presenting them in a positive light or the the racists who are living in in Nixonville. And that's why and and I'll save it till we get to the scene, you know, back at the the chief's house. But uh, I I think the show is definitely going somewhere that that's going to be even more relatable to us in 2019 uh, with with what's going to happen with the police force. But um, so. you know they 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 take him down uh from the pole the angela's sitting in her car with with looking glass uh as we mentioned last week the incredible tim blake nelson uh as looking glass and they just have a really great little back and forth you know it's it's not a ton of exposition but it's just a really nice little kind of insight into who each of them are um you know he mentions that uh 
I forget exactly what he says to her, but then at some point she's like, well, you're, you know, you're a, you're, you're a cold glass of water or some shit like that. Uh, and then he says to her, you know, yeah, then why am I crying under this mask? Like, it's oh, yeah. just a really, yeah, well, just, a, he, just a great little. He mentioned, he says, your children, implying that, you know, all those kids she has are, you know, oh, yeah, yeah. Are, aren't That's actually hers. And they, they were, you know, essentially adopted from other uh, police who were killed during this, this, uh, I think, yeah, I assume that that's her partner's son, I assume. Right. So that's why she snaps and says, fuck you, you shiny fuck, which is another great line. (laughs) Uh, but yeah, it's, it's a great interaction. You, you learn a lot in a very short amount of time and it's just, you know, kind of who these people are and how they react to each other and how they're, you know, they're on the same side, but they're, still going to antagonize each other to a degree. And that's just, you know, how kind of people are, but, uh, yeah, you know, it, it, it was great. Very memorable. Yeah, for sure. So from there we get the, uh, white knight flashback. Uh, you know, you get, you get, we get this really nice kind of tender moment between Angela and her husband. Uh, it's Christmas Eve, uh, and they're, you know, uh, fooling around in the living room. And then all of a sudden, she senses that somebody's, you know, broken into the house. And then, you know, a minute, a second later, we get one of the seventh cavalry guys in the Rorschach mask, kick the door in with, and then start blasting with a shotgun. So, um, they did that thing you know, that they always do on, on movies and TV shows where with a shotgun, where they rack the shotgun in between every, every firing of it, which, yeah, which is, you is, don't need to do. And you're yeah, wasting a shell. Yeah. You would just be ejecting a live round that way. That's not how shotguns work. <laughs> it's just one of those audio but it looks cl- cool. cliches where like they want to include the sound of racking a shotgun as many times so that people, you know, whatever. Yeah. And it sounds and looks cool, but yeah, it's, it's impractical of course. Um, but so, yeah, so we, we, we see, you know, we, we, we see what, what went on, on, on white Knight. um, which is such a weird name for it, but I guess it makes sense. Um, but it sounds so like, you know, so docile, but, uh, you know, obviously it's not. So, uh, she manages to, to make it out alive somehow, which is good. It's actually kind of unclear because it, she seems oh, yeah. to pass they, out. They deliberately don't show it now. And I looked really carefully to see if the eyes of the guy who was about to blow her head off were, you know, Don Johnson's eyes and they're not, uh, totally different eye color. Right. Um, mm-hmm. but that's, that's sort of what you, what you guessed would be that was that yeah. he was involved with it and then somehow like took BD on her. Right. Which still may be the case, although, you know, on a, on a broader level rather than just he intervened personally and we don't see it. But. Well, exactly. Yeah. He still could have orchestrated and said, Hey, you know, you got to scare her so nobody she doesn't get suspicious, but don't kill her because there's no way her husband defended her in that moment. I think he was down. Yeah, All, like there, you know, know what I mean? Like, there was, like you'd think after at some point he might want to try to save his wife's life, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah, I don't know what the hell that was about, but uh, um, I, I'm sure we will at some point they will flash back and show the rest of what happened there. Yeah, I, I, I agree. So, um, you know, and then she wakes up in the hospital bed uh, and she seems to be fine. She she did get she got shot, I think, in the chest, but it seemed like she had a vest on. Uh, she was, you know, there were a lot of gasping noises that seemed to be pretty telltale, you know, uh, giveaway that she was wearing a vest or just wears a vest at all times, uh, which is interesting considering that they weren't 
at that moment being targeted by the cavalry. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's inconsistent. If you were a a cop in real life, you'd have some kind of home home security alarm system anyway. Um, But yeah, it's 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 baffling a little bit like why certain technologies they don't have. And then other things are like super high tech holograms uh, or just like random things that you see that are like colored blue that are supposed to lead you to believe that it's Dr. Manhattan technology, like the the Dr. Manhattan coffee maker. (laughs) Did you see that? (laughs) Yeah. Notice all the the blue coming out of there. Yeah, I was like, what the fuck is that? Like a nuclear device? I was like, oh, no, it's just coffee maker. Okay. Apparently makes the coffee <laughs> to the perfect temperature, you know, right off the bat without burning you. So although yeah. although it, it it may not be that, because if, if you notice how Will, when he, he gets the coffee, he just chugs the whole thing like it's nothing. And she's kind of shocked by that. There's another thing at the end of that, uh, at the very end, jump ahead just for this one little bit. Um, yeah, he boils the eggs and just puts his hand into the boiling. Yeah, water he just grabs one out of the thing, like fucking yeah. Blade Runner style. Yeah, and and like you, it's kind of in the background. You don't really notice it, but it's like uh, okay, clearly he's you know got some kind of power of ability. some type. Yeah, uh, or, or he just can't you know like all of his nerves are dead because he's hundred years old. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, that also could be true. Well, it's also interesting because nobody in this universe, you know, n- n- not, you know, including the Snyderverse, obviously, but the actual Watchmen comic, which this is directly sequelizing, ha- nobody has powers other than Dr. Manhattan. Right. Like everyone else is basically just a vigilante who's really good at fighting, you know, or, you know, has uses a lot of weapons, whatever. Um, there, But there's always like rumors of other people with powers like. Uh, Adrian Veidt says that he figured out how to to create the mass hallucination of this octopus uh, by ex- by examining the brain of uh, a dead uh, superhero who is supposedly psychic. So, like it, it it's uh, I think it's teased that there are other powered individuals in the comic, but so so just the only clear, one we know of for sure. I my understanding was that the the giant squid monster was real. It just that uh, that it was you know, uh, false flag. Right. And the source of it was what the lie was. Yeah. I, I see. It's unclear. That's I, that's, I got to look into that more because it, it, I've read conflicting things about that. And my memory of what actually happened in the com in that scene, excuse me, is a little hazy, but regardless, yes, it is a false flag. It's not an actual extra, extra dimensional squid. It was something that, uh, Osmandius, uh, Adrian Veidt created, but I, it's unclear whether or not it was a physical manifestation or if it was a psychological or some combination. Well, you know? I mean, I do recall from you know, the comics that he pretty much uh, kind of by killing millions of people, uh, you know, that that he really isolated himself from everyone because he couldn't relate to uh, regular people now that he had committed this huge atrocity, even if it did stop nuclear war. Yeah. Yeah, and he, and he's cl- but you know he's clearly he's he's doing a lot better now. He's clearly very well adjusted. You know, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Imagine where he's burning burning not, effigies not of whatsoever. John or. <laughs> um, but uh, so no. yeah, that that was that. I mean, every time it cuts to that, I'm like, all right, here comes like it's just going to get crazier every time we cut back to <laughs> yeah. him. Um, no, we'll get to that. So, but um, yeah. So, but so when she when Angela wakes up, uh. Judd is there and he seems to be uh doing pretty fine you know he he miraculously just got you know kind of clipped in the arm uh everything seems to be fine he's sitting there he's you know uh very nice to her he's like you know I really care about you like I'm, I'm glad you're all right 
But um, you know, it's just it's just suspicious that he that all these cops managed to to get killed and he managed to, you know, escape kind of unscathed. I don't know. <laughs> you know, it's just it's just it's just the coincidences seem to be piling up. Uh, and I think we kind of clocked this last week when we were like, yeah, this dude's definitely a cavalry guy. There's something fucking fishy going on with him because, you know, obviously later in the episode, uh, you know, spoilers, there's a fucking clan hood in his closet. And I don't think that Will planted that there. I can't see any possible reason for, you know, Will to have planted that there, um, you know, unless he's some Machiavellian, you know, villain. Sure, but. sure. And, you know, clearly there's there's lots of people who are probably police and in the clan as well or in the police and in in this uh, cavalry. So that alone, I don't think obviously is not going to be something that he would uh, kill him for or have him killed uh, for that. So when he said skeleton is a closet, he said, well, I meant figuratively, <laughs> you know, the, he, he's being <laughs> honest when he says that. Um, yeah. and, and just about so, everything he says, there is, uh, you know, some truth to, and who knows, maybe he really is Dr. Manhattan. Will. Yeah. yeah. It's possible. Yeah. That's definitely possible. It's very possible. And they talk a lot in the first two episodes about how, uh, Dr. Manhattan, like they, they, they infer a lot as to whether or not Dr. Manhattan can look like somebody else. And it's way too conspicuous for them to keep saying this for that not to be the case. Yeah, I mean, they mentioned it multiple times in each episode. Well, and, and, if and it's people not like, him, oh, no, he can't look like someone else. Sure, sure. Well, and, and you mentioned this before we started recording, but, uh, you know, when we, we realized that uh, Ozymandias, played by Jeremy Irons, apparently has the ability to clone people, uh, the question is, who are those people his servants clones of? Yeah, exactly. And, it, and one, uh, you know, could make the pretty short leap uh, that – it's actually a clone of John and um, and his wife, uh, John, you know, who becomes Dr. Manhattan, John Osterman. It, it, the, the resemblance is pretty strong. Obviously, you know, we don't know who's going to play Dr. Manhattan in this universe, but the resemblance to the comic depiction of, of John and his wife is pretty spot on. Uh, and if he's, you know, genetically cloning these people, he's a master geneticist, he probably had to get this DNA from somewhere. So... It's possible he's actually, you know, well, I'll say it for when we actually talk about the, but that scene. But it's, it, yeah, that, that's certainly something that I think is, is a strong possibility. Um, so, well, you know, um, I, oh, go yeah. ahead. Well, no, I just, but, but to the, back to the chief in the hospital, I, it, it occurred to me like, you know, how did the cavalry figure out the identities and addresses of all of these cops? Like, I know they weren't like strictly in hiding, but they were, not like super it made it seem like they were like not super you know public about all this info the only way they could coordinate an attack like this is if they did have help on the inside so that's of course yeah why coupled with the club coupled with the clan hood at the end it's like well obviously this dude is a fucking seventh cavalry and that's why i think a lot of people who are like you know we talked last week about how everyone was like oh this is such a pro cop show i'm like yeah, guys, it's probably they're probably going to reveal that like 90% of this police force are 7th Cavalry members and that Angela is going to end up leaving the police force and acting as a vigilante by the end of the first season. That's that's like my guess as to where the story is leading because um why else do this Don Johnson arc and why else kind of have her you know disillusioned with 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 him and and with you know presumably other members of of the force if if not for that. 
Um, especially if you're if you're looking at this through a 2019 lens and you're tackling white supremacy. I mean, this show is a lot of things, but you know, unaware of of the the racism and the systematic. Uh, with the systematic racism and systematic corruption of of the modern you know police forces, like the, the sh- there's no way the show doesn't uh, address that at all. That would be preposterous. You know? Well, I mean that's that's the crux to the show. You know, it's just yeah. to to what degree and who exactly is involved in what really, and that's that's what I like is that you know they're they're setting this up as a as an actual mystery too in this episode where. Uh, you know, we had a couple of questions that one or two get answered and then five more questions, like huge questions are, are opened up and you're just <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's a puzzle and that's fun. I mean, that's exciting when you, when yeah. you really, it's not just a, a cop procedural or, um, you know, just a, a building of a character, but it's like what the character has to figure out all this shit. Right. And the, yeah. and the mystery just keeps yeah. getting, getting larger. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so um, from the from the hospital scene, we 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 move on to the uh, roundup of Nixonville, which we previously mentioned. You know, it's a pretty intense scene where uh, the cops show up, and you know, pretty very fascist formation, a formation we're very used to seeing uh, from modern day protests. You know, the way they would line up. You know, when when people are you know peacefully protesting in places like Ferguson, uh, and that that very you know militant formation, kind of like no no break in the ranks sort of situation. Uh, Although and, they were, uh, I, I noticed they were much uh, more lenient on them than police <laughs> are in real life. <laughs> they were just kind of, yeah, yeah like, no, kind I know, of grabbing their arms and manhandling them like a couple cattle prods. You know, in real life, that would just be well, it was, it was, swinging. you know, <laughs> uh, it were, they were white racists. It's not like they were black people standing up for civil rights or anything, right, right. Did you notice that the statue of Nixon survived? Like right as they're about to pull it down, that bottle hit, and then it was just like, okay, I don't care about the statue. I'm just going to beat you up now. It's like they, <laughs> yeah, they probably just fuck them up. You know, they they need the statue to be there for, for future episodes, so you you know know where it is that you are in the show. <laughs> so. Yeah, and also I mean, that statue's fucking hilarious. Like, don't 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 tear that down until the end. That's that statue's yeah fucking hilarious. <laughs> but um, uh, I, I actually I actually wonder what the origins of Nixonville are. I wonder if that's some sort of like subsidized housing for like like racist white people like that they they're like oh if you if you hate black people as much as we do you'll get a trailer like that's you know like it's just such a weird I don't think if robert redford's present that that would be the case it looked like they were just like sort of squatting there like it was just like trailer well, no, it, and- it, well i mean it might be like a long because richard nixon in this universe was president for like you know like decades like because of you know ending the so i just wonder if that's something that existed back then some kind of like a levitt town situation where it was like subsidized housing but for like white people you know um uh so but it's it's interesting um but so yeah uh you know they we get that scene we get (laughs) red red scare up on the on the thing with the up on a car with the uh, megaphone i love i love the toss of the megaphone too like he he Uh see the officer tosses it up to him and then he tosses it back when he's ready to go beat up everybody it's just such a (laughs) like listen up i'm in fucking charge now yeah yeah no for sure um so uh you know that scene's fairly inconsequential, although we we do see Angela kind of try to um, leave uh, 
and you know she ends up having to fight her way out a little bit she was trying to she thought it was like you know excessive obviously uh she she does fight when one guy kind of comes and attacks her but she uh ends up leaving going to her car did you notice how many times she hit that guy and his hat didn't fall off the entire time (laughs) well yeah she she fuck it It, that's the thing it's like she she understands inherently that what they were doing was wrong but once she gets into the heat of the moment how does hat stay on the whole maniac I don't, yeah, I don't I understand know. how that works. Like you get hit once and you're glued onto off. his head. Apparently you're stapled. Um, yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I like that, you know, she gets back to her car and kind of like, you know, catches her breath and realizes she lost control in that moment. And then, uh, you know, she looks up and, and the, the mug that she has the DNA sample on, she sees that and she kind of have this, has this moment of like, okay, this is a huge distraction from what I need to do. Right. Like yeah. this, this is the real detective work I need to be doing, not coming out here and playing games with, you know, cracking heads and everything. So I liked that that was kind of like yeah. a, a deliberate, um, you could see her thought process in that moment. Like, Oh, this is, here's, here's the real mission I need to be on. So it's interesting. She's a detective yet. She can't or won't it, it, more than likely it's won't take it to be analyzed like, you know, by the, by the department. Um, because right. I, well, I, 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 I have to imagine she's books. yeah yeah i mean she probably yeah something it up. seems like still though she could just go to the lab and be like hey shirley can you just run this really quick through our database and see if anyone you know pings it for a minute but i guess maybe she's really just trying to keep everything about this on the dl probably since, and also you know, she, she was at the scene of the hanging the night before and probably doesn't want anyone to know about that right and also as the audience we get to see this museum um uh, that uh, presumably doesn't exist in the real world um but this this museum yeah i'm actually curious if it does where uh, the uh that um that uh scholar is now apparently the treasury secretary and he's doing this little uh sort of historical video presentation about um you know some some more of the Tulsa race massacre just to kind of like keep keep educating the audience as to uh, what's going on as though you know everyone hadn't already went and googled that if they didn't know about it it still kind of just keeps furthering the the, the backdrop of the world uh, in which we actually do yeah. live and of course there's a bunch of racist white people out front protesting of course just like it's a planned parenthood <laughs> you know of course oh my god yeah so um, a little bit of that is is sort of like i i think facilitates the continued education of the audience and maybe you're right she didn't necessarily have to go to a place like that but it it also shows that here this is the process by which people uh, can actually get these uh reparations or red fertations uh you know kind of how that works now it's it's not clear though whether it's just for tulsa um, so because they uh, what they, i think the he says that you know for, only this yeah only this location can you apply for this kind of of reparations but they don't say so they're I th- not able to do it at other cities or other places for other reasons. Correct. Yeah. So I think that you can only this particular location set up for victims, for, for family members of victims of the 1921 uh, Tulsa massacre, you know, the massacre right. of Black Wall Street. Um, but that the way that he framed it and the fact that it's such a widely used phrase leads me to believe that. There are just general reparations for descendants of slaves, which is, you know, what what reparations are typically discussed as when we talk about reparations, what they would actually look like in our, you know, modern society um, and what, you know, what they should look like. Um, it seems like that was the, the implication was that that particular site, because it was in Tulsa, was just for the victims of the, you know, of that 
uh, that that massacre and you know maybe you apply through your social security office or whatever for actual you know federal reparations general federal you know what i mean like that might right. be how that works so um, we uh yeah <laughs> well because also because the fact that uh, that she that angela was already of a recipient of reparations it seems like or it's at least implied that that's how she started her bakery um it would lead me to believe that there are more than just the tulsa ones because she didn't even know she was related to somebody from the tulsa uh massacre you know it, until this episode right so that's why i i but you know who knows i guess we'll maybe we'll find out a little further uh about that but so she puts the cup in the, the little DNA reader thingy and, um, you know, she, she waits for results back. Uh, and, uh, so the, uh, next scene we see is the, uh, as previously mentioned American hero story, which is the kind of show within a show, uh, where it's very obviously, you know, riffing on Zack Snyder's kind of goofy styling, uh, for, for the film. um, but it also focuses heavily on hooded justice and on uh, basically a German strongman who is rumored to be hooded justice, but it's pretty obvious that this is not the actual hooded justice. And they kind of, you know, allude to that, I think even in the American hero story, but. Um, and you did know, you notice just, that the, uh, the, the name of the woman with the typewriter at the beginning and the name of the strong man was the same? Yes. Yeah. So that was, that was an interesting, I, I doubt that that's a, coincidence i don't know no maybe maybe the show maybe the show writers are just really big robert Mueller fans they really they really thought he was gonna come through for them and uh (laughs) i hope not yeah (laughs) that'd be really funny the other thing is you know we're watching a a a tv depiction of hooded justice right so if if will actually was then you know that they could have totally changed the, the the race of the character well, and nobody knew the identity of Hooded Justice, like to that day, like, you know, in the in, in the Watchmen comic, it's like, well, nobody knows. People think he might be this German strongman, but nobody actually knows. Um, so because he was incredibly strong, uh, which seems to jive with the fact that Will can put his hand into a pot of boiling water and be fine. And, you know, claims that he hoisted up Judd and hung him from a tree, you know, a 200 pound man at 105 years old. So. It, the, the the implications are heavily you know there about about and you know uh, i mean it's, it, it, the people who i kept seeing on, on twitter saying well how could he possibly lift a 200 pound man i'm like he doesn't have to lift him it's not you don't you don't climb up the tree with him and then throw him off the branch that's not how you hang someone <laughs> yeah, yeah no you you have the noose and then you tie it around his neck and then you pull it which he could easily if he actually is that physically strong whether his legs work or not he could easily just do that from his sitting position you know right um, um but yeah and and just the fact you have a rope over a branch like there is some <laughs> bit of a pulley effect there where you don't have to i mean you, you could just use your own weight you don't have to pull anything really yeah that's true yeah he could literally just sag out of the chair although he doesn't seem like he weighs more than judd but still i mean you know right. if he does have some some strength left plus his weight i'm sure it could have. It, it's it's sort of irrelevant at this point um because obviously yeah. he has other people helping him right when he's when he says uh you know it wouldn't matter if you try to put me in jail i'll get rescued anyway you know and then yeah. it's like very clear that that's places. that's not an exaggeration <laughs> he literally does have friends in high places yeah uh i actually wonder if that's if that's um night owl because that that 
that ship seemed to, I mean, like it almost kind of looked like a spaceship at first, but <clears throat> the, the kind of hovering technology, uh, it's it, to me, it's very night owl esque. So I'm very curious. Well, you could, uh, sort, you could just barely make out. There was like a, like a horizontal, uh, rotating fan blade. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, wasn't, wasn't like the actual owl, uh, ship, but some kind of variation of it, possibly bigger. It seemed like very similar tech. Yeah. To me. I, like almost. I was, I was thinking like, uh, black Panther, Wakanda type of a craft. Yeah, it was, know? it was. Yeah. Uh, brothers stick together. Um, yeah, but I mean, just, just but like all the, the whole episode was magnets. Did you notice? <laughs> like the the kid point. With <laughs> Jesse Pinkman would have been thrilled with oh, this episode. The um, it's the, this is also the the, the um, sort of uh, magnetic hovering metal castle the kid was building. This is the third time we've seen that exact same castle design. That's the same sand castle that uh, Doctor Manhattan was shown building on Mars. If that which may not even be real, as we've established, that that may be yeah. a totally bullshit uh, live feed. Uh, and then, of course, the the castle that um, Ozymandias is is resided in, which may or may not even be on Earth, <laughs> apparently, uh, may be in yeah. an alternate dimension. So, but it, it it but the question is like, is that a deliberate connection, or is there something totally like metaphysical going on? It it seems like it would be too coincidental for it to not be deliberate. Like it, it would seem like too big of a coincidence, but who, I mean, who knows, you know, I don't know what that necessarily means for Topher's character who, you know, her, her son, her adopted son's character who I, um, I swear that was a girl in the pilot. I, was, I know. I, I, like, I kept correcting you, but yeah, no, yeah. it was, it was kids kid just really doesn't like haircuts. The lighting was different apparently. Yeah. Yeah. But that's okay. Whatever. Uh, but, apparently this alternate so, reality, little boys can have long hair. Crazy not get their asses kicked like we probably would have no you're t- you're tough um, guy. you got long hair in this world apparently yeah um uh yeah so uh we from the, from the american hero story scene we we go to uh judd's house for the kind of uh wake i guess it's not really clear but just people it seems like it's maybe the wake or the funeral just people are at uh judd's wife's house comforting her you know in the aftermath of, of yeah no of, it's it's awake it's discovery uh but you know i don't know if this is this is how they do it in oklahoma but she shows up to this wake wearing a sleeveless dress like just like guns are out <laughs> like you know just comes in and they're like okay I, that's all right michelle uh, it's pretty fucking hot in oklahoma so i could see i could guess yeah. I, that that's probably yeah. a possibility uh, typically you'd expect you know all black like you know like Oh, it was all black. Uh, it was just no, no, no I know, sleeves. but like, yeah, like, like you know, suit jacket over like a dress sort of situation. But yeah, I guess yeah. it's fucking hot in Oklahoma. Who knows? Um, so Angela shows up and she meets uh, Joe Keery. Keery, I think is his last name. Uh, Carrie Keery. So he's the uh, son of the senator who passed the uh Curie act which was the act that banned mass vigilantes which was the kind of crux of the entire watchman comic um and he's the kind of right-wing candidate who's going to be running to replace redford who's not going to seek re-election he announced um so she meets him i don't know how significant he'll be to the plot although name is keen by the way k-e-e-n-e keeny yep is it keen or keeny is it just keen okay i don't know i was thinking with ry at the end all right so just keen uh joe keen so he seems like he'll be uh, pretty essential to the plot going forward, but then she uh, kind of faints, which, you know, I, I was like, oh, what the fuck? Why'd she? And then obviously 
it's immediately evident that the second she, you know, is put into bed and, and uh, Judd's wife leaves, uh, she pops up and is fine and just did that as an excuse to kind of, you know, search the house. Um, well, and- it, it does beg the question, did the wife know that the clan robe was in there? Because if you knew that your recently deceased husband was in the clan and you had a clan robe, you know, in a closet, mm-hmm. would you have put her in that room? <laughs> you know, or would you put her in like a guest room? Somewhere? No. And I actually don't know that she was in that room. I think she might have been in a guest room and she walked to that. Like it's un- it's kind of unclear the geography of that. Ups- because she puts on the night vision goggles, which, are, by the way, are also very night owl reminiscent. Like that's mm-hmm. definitely some night owl tech also. Um, so it's it's all, it's all it's very interesting. To, I, I wonder whether or not they seized all of night owl's tech and have been reverse engineering it or if he's making tech for them as kind of like a penance for not being in jail or like what the situation is with him because he's somebody that we know is still alive in the series like some of the external materials make mention of the fact that he was captured in 95 for violating the keen act because he was you know still doing mass vigilanteism mm-hmm. uh, but it's unclear where he is currently and I, obviously later in the episode it seems like we may have seen him again you know tr- uh, picking up will but i don't know um but so yeah she, she's looking through uh, the uh, house and she goes into Judd's office and obviously she opens the, the kind of secret cabinet in his uh, dresser and finds his clan robe and clan hood uh, with the sheriff's badge attached to it. So, you know, I, I, I think unless we're really being misled, uh, I, I think our, our smelling something funny about Judd from the outset were, you know, pretty well founded. Uh, there's just something not right about his whole character. Uh, and it seems like, you know, for him to be in the clan, obviously they made the parallel in the first episode between the KKK and the seventh cavalry. They, you know, they're, they're kind of one, one, uh, one in the same. Like, it seems like, it seems like that's the modern clan. Like they don't actually walk around in robes anymore. They just wear Rorschach masks. Well, there was the the newspaper uh, in the pilot that if you noticed that it was the uh, KKK vandalized the Statue of Liberty. There was that headline uh, on the newspaper. I did see, so, oh, yeah, that's true. I so, yeah, they, the clan itself still exists. This is just another branch of it. There's there's room in America for more than one uh, <laughs> white supremacist militia. Trust me. <laughs> well, it, it's just interesting, though, because they seem to have similar goals i don't know it, it, it's int- I, I wonder how that ties into the seventh cavalry uh you know but we'll i guess we'll learn more about that as the series goes on so uh she finds that um <laughs> from there we get the uh totally normal not at all insane uh scene of uh adrian in his mansion uh and his two clones which we you know obviously realize at, at the end they're clones Although I did the second I saw someone with a hood, I was like, oh, yeah, that's that's a clone of, of, the, of the, the maid. Like, obviously, that's the same person. Um, but we see him him putting on his play that he's been writing, the watchmaker's son. Uh, and obviously, as we kind of inferred last week, you know, the watchmaker's son refers to John, uh, who Osterman, who is that becomes Dr. Manhattan. Uh, and he uh, puts on a really detailed kind of origin story for Dr. Manhattan. So now I, you know, I, I'm kind of conflicted about this, but I don't imagine that John told anyone to the, with the level of detail, like his origin story like that. 
So it's really interesting how you he knows know. so much about. I mean, they all work together, right? They all work together, knew each other, trust each other for years. But Doctor Manhattan's like like fucking Bran. Like he's that's why we call him Doctor Bran. Like he's not a he's not a chatty guy. Like I, you know, what I mean, I just right. it would just be very weird for me to for him to know the level of detail with so, like, with right. What I happened. mean, the, the question is, what is the real purpose of putting this play on, right? And yeah. it seemed to be it's, it's he's he's repeatedly expressing frustration with how his clones are insufficient in some way, whether yeah. it's their intellect or emotional responses. Uh, and you, you get that. And it, right before they go to perform the play, when they're still in the dinner hall, uh, when the, um, the, the Philip the male clone asks for the watch and he's like, cause I need it for a prop. And he turns to him and he says, uh, have you, has it ever occurred to you, Philip, that you were the prop? And he's sort of <laughs> confused and he says, would, would you like it to occur to me, sir? And I love this line. This is my favorite line of the whole episode. Uh, he replies, there are so many things I would like to occur to you. Implying that he's, he's like, and he says, okay, let's go, Dimwitz. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. It's, it's sort of like he's, he's, what he really wants is to get the, you know, the, the, the woman he keeps saying, you know, give me real tears, give me real tears. He wants yeah. this real emotional response. And he says to her, what he says, when is a lie not a lie? And she responds, when it's acting. He's like, exactly. So it seems that he's training them for something, right? And at the same time, he's using that little, you know, incineration chamber to get rid of the ones that aren't as good, right? So it's sort of this dual function kind of a thing. Now, as to why this specific thing is the thing that he's having them rehearse. Uh, I am not sure. It could just be another, uh, you know, sort of audience service that we are reminding people of the mythology uh, of the Watchmen because maybe some people haven't seen, you know, the movie or read the comics, right? Uh, yeah. But it, it almost seemed to me like, you know, when when he incinerates the, you know, the one clone and she really does cry, you see from his reaction that that's like he hadn't gotten her to get that reaction that good before. And that's yeah. when the the Doctor Manhattan clone, or with the you know naked penis and the uh, fencing mask, okay. comes down, and it it seems as though like we they, they haven't progressed to this part of the play before, uh, because the, you know he pulls the 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 watch out of the, the charred corpse hand, and she asks, has it has it stopped? And he says, nope, it's only just begun. And he hits it, and it starts ticking away again. So it's like clearly this is. We don't know all the implications of what this is because, you know, he's a genius and we're not going to know his play until the end. Uh, but clearly this was a pivotal moment in his uh, advancement of his clone's behavioral responses. Yes. And a um, couple things. Uh, if that is a clone of, of the actual John Osterman, I, I'm a little dubious of that because he uh, was not nearly as he wasn't packing nearly as much as the uh, the film version of, of John Osterman, <laughs> a.k.a. Yeah. Dr. Manhattan. Certainly but wasn't as know. muscular. Yeah. No, no, just in general. Um, but it, that was also just a great little kind of subtle, you know, jab at, at Zack Snyder and, and and the incredible amount of blue dick that's in uh, the Watchmen film version. But because um, he doesn't really walk around a ton, like just with his dick out in the comic. Like that's just I think that was just a Zack Snyder uh, fascination. And it's in there a few um, times, but yeah, whatever. But, but, yeah, but not near it, the movie, it's like, I watched the movie recently, it's like 
10 scenes. He's just, you know. Yeah. Well, it's also <laughs> just HBO exercising the fact around. That it is HBO. And it's just like, yeah, hey, we can yeah, do yeah, nudity yeah. on HBO. Why? It's perfect. Why wouldn't we show the blue tick? <laughs> yeah. But so now, more importantly, you know, obviously, we, we, we learn that they are, in fact, clones. I think we talked last week about how they may be clones or androids. I think I, I said androids. But obviously, now that we've seen one burned and they're, they seem to be organic, it's just, you know, him using his, his skills as a master geneticist to clone uh, these figures who we presume at least for now are John. Yeah, I don't know if he's a master um, genesis because apparently his tomato tree is producing tomatoes that are inedible <laughs> from, <laughs> from his reaction to biting. Well, and I mean, maybe he's not on planet earth. Maybe that's why it's very hard for him to grow things. And he's like the, the fact that he's, I don't know. Um, but also geneticism, uh, genetics and botany are, are very different. I would imagine like, you, you know, maybe well, and not a- he's also a perfectionist. Keep that in mind. And he's also completely yes, insane also too. So his, <laughs> yes, his, standard, that's also true. his standard for tomato trees may be, you know, astronomically higher than ours. Would be. Oh, I mean, he's, he's, he's like the worst cr- war criminal in, in, in world history. I mean, if, if we objectively look at how many people he fucking murdered, you know, whether or not you want to say he did it for a good cause or whether or not it had the ends justified the means. And we talked a little bit last week about how maybe that's not the case, considering that in modern day 2019 in 2019, you know, the Cold War ended without, you know, a shot fired, you know, at least, you know, in, in, in a term in sense of uh, a hot war between the United States and Russia. So did he need to kill millions of people <laughs> to, to end the Cold War up? Uh, you know, our, our modern history would say probably not, but, um, you know, obviously in the universe of Watchmen, he at least thinks that he did the right thing and he saved humanity from nuclear annihilation. Um, but so now with that in mind and the fact that he is such a megalomaniac that we, that we know him to be, and that he's, you know, clearly lost touch with reality he's sitting there fucking burning, you know, clones of, of John Osterman to death. Um, he's clearly planning something else. And he kind of alludes to that in the first episode that he has a great plan. And then, and, uh, you know, I don't think it's any coincidence that the seventh Calvary also talk about, you know, a big plan, uh, and, and, how every, and, you know, but he mentions that his plan revolves around Tulsa. So like, I, I think that he might be training these actors to, recreate something maybe he's actually trying to recreate the circumstances that created dr manhattan so that he can create his own dr manhattan like who knows like that he could control like that's that's you know a possibility like i don't know i mean that's that's an interesting sure uh, or notion possibly trying to set up a circumstance to bring the real dr manhattan back to you know earth, back to earth to tulsa for whatever it is so i mean the big question is uh who is who's the hero and who was the villain in all of this uh you know because clearly his his original plan that killed millions of people to save billions would be uh you know if he has something big that he's doing whatever the ramifications of it were led to believe would be on par with that right so uh, whatever whatever the plan in Tulsa is would probably have world changing consequences as well. It wouldn't just be, you know. And that's the other thing that's also unclear is 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 the the Seventh Cavalry only a thing that exists in uh, you know in Tulsa, Oklahoma? You would think you would think not if you're having the KKK attacking Statue of Liberty, you know, yeah. fifteen hundred miles away. So uh, so yeah, that that's. Uh, again, we don't really know if he's just 
may, you know, torching dumb clones or if he's got much more nefarious ideas. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think that they would show so much of his story if he was just it like, you know, some fucking insane, you know, old rich guy just amusing himself. Like, obviously, I think he's definitely building towards something. Uh, maybe it's just that he it, when he bring, when he does get Dr. Manhattan to come back to Earth, he wants to either emotionally break him down and or remind him of his humanity like that. And so the big thing with Dr. Manhattan is that he completely lost his humanity. Like he just had no, uh, you know, he's like, I grow tired of this place and these people. Like I'm, I'm going to go start get a life in a galaxy far away from this one. Um, it, it's possible. He's just trying to remind him of the fact that he is human uh, and that he, you know, I, like, I, who knows? I mean, that there, there's the, the fact that he's trying so hard to get this, this scene, right. It, it is I, to me is very indicative of the fact that it definitely has something to do with, putting the show on for John for whatever end that that is going to accomplish, you know? Um, that's what I think. That's what my theory is at least possibly. Yeah. Yeah. But I, yeah, I can't wait to find out. So, um, yeah. So that, that scene was batshit crazy. Um, so from there we get the final, uh, scene or two, uh, where Angela <clears throat> has will, uh, at, I, I guess that's her hideout or that it's kind of unclear, I guess. Yeah. yeah who knows? But um, it seems like it's at her hideout. Um, and uh, you know, he kind of just ma- is making eggs for himself. Yeah. You're talking about um, the, the, the tea in Hanoi. Oh, it was that. Tea? Okay. Okay. Yeah, it, it was hard. Her cafe that she has been about to open up for years. Right. And he, uh-huh. he knows it. Right. He keeps saying like, Oh, when are you going to open up a few more months? And he, he knows that bullshit. Yeah. 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 <clears throat> but um so yeah so she uh is there with him uh he's just casually making eggs as we mentioned he grabs one uh hard, you know out of the boiling water uh no no reaction whatsoever so he either has that that uh nerve disease where you can't feel pain or he's powered uh one of those two um and they have a really interesting conversation and while they're talking you know she gets the call uh from the the automated call from the genetics uh, division of the, you know, the Tulsa reparations department, whatever department it is. Right. And she gets and the phone rings, out. the phone rings like the instant the egg timer goes off too. So like, yeah, <laughs> which is clearly he's, he's in control of when these things happen. <clears throat> yeah. So we find out that uh, he is her grandfather, which is interesting because I guess we don't really know much about her familial lineage uh, on this uh show and it'd be kind of odd that she never met her grandfather but i guess we'll find more out about what is happening there um as the show goes on so uh you know he says like you know you she she kind of just snaps at that point uh for whatever reason wants to take him in uh, I, I'm not sure if it's just because she needs to, you know, run more tests to see if he actually. Well, she's is just tired of his bullshit questions or his his bullshit yeah. answers, and he said, "Well, if I yeah, tell you all of it at once, yeah. you'll you won't be able to handle it. So I have to tell you little bits and pieces." And she just gets sick of it. She's like, I, I, "All right, I'm just I'm done." So he's gonna, you know, take but it him just to seems jail. weird because, like, I I don't know why she would want to bring him into custody because she doesn't want people to know what went on between her and him at judd's hanging like it just seems weird but i think maybe at that point she wasn't fully thinking about her actions like you're saying she was just so pissed off by his fucking 
like Yoda like expressions that she's just like, I right, fuck it. I'm, I'm throwing you, you know, or maybe it was a bluff to see if he'll talk like when she threw him in the car, but who knows? Um, but in any event, uh, you know, as he said, he has friends in high places and before she could put, uh, the wheelchair in and get in the car herself, the car is lifted by some kind of like a magnet, you know, device, uh, descending from a kind of a very similar to a night owl kind of, uh, like an Archie type craft, uh, hovering craft. Uh, and then he's, you know, flown away. So that's where we leave them in the episode. And, um, yeah, I, I think, you know, the obvious thought is that that might be night owl. Uh, and if it's not somebody using, uh, night owls tech, uh, and who could that be that's working with him, working with will, uh, and to what end, but you know, uh, really interesting, a lot of shit to think about going forward. Uh, I don't know. What what were your thoughts on that final scene? Well, clearly we're going to meet new more characters as they've showed us these previews. Uh, we know that um, uh, Silk Spectre is now an FBI agent. Yeah. She's been seen. Uh, you notice in the trailer for next episode, there's a very, very brief cut of someone who looks exactly like Night Owl leaping off the balcony uh, about to, you know, he, uh, hero landing, <laughs> about to, you know, jump off the sledge here. Um, so we... We may or may not actually be seeing the um, the real Night Owl, uh, uh, or possibly an imposter. We know that a lot of some of these characters have become basically newer, or the the new version of an old um, Minuteman character. So we'll see about that. But uh, one of the one of the things that you know in the original Watchmen was that you know once they banned the masks and vigilantes, a lot of the characters just became regular, became cops, right? So uh, I think the the idea that we've got several of the detectives or lieutenants or whatever in this police force are have much more elaborate costumes than the regular police is, is kind of consistent with that too. Yeah. Well, so now the interesting thing about Silk Spectre, and they call her Lori Blake in the preview. Now, um... Donald Blake, I think his name is Donald, uh, was the comedian. Now, he is not married to Silk Spectre in the comic. Uh, as a matter of fact, he we find out in the comic that he raped her mother. Like, you know, uh, so I, I don't know if that's maybe a little bit of a retcon to just kind of get away from that kind of like not so uh, sunny side of um, of the uh, like of, of the origin. But uh Damian Lindelof said that he is not uh, changing anything from the comics, so that would be that would be interesting. No, well, she, but she took her father's name. I mean, the other the other part of that is that he still worked for the government, right? And and having the same last name as your father that worked in the government uh, certainly would be a slight advantage, right? And there's, there's worse names you can have as an FBI agent than Blake. Uh, yeah. So. But it, it's just an interesting, like, I don't know. It's it's, it's a weird, <laughs> it's, it's just a weird change. But I guess maybe that, you know, maybe that was the reason, like, just to get ahead in the government. Um, but, yeah, so Lori Blake, you know, obviously Silk Spectre uh, that we're introduced to. So that's going to be interesting going forward, I think. Uh, like you said, there's definitely something in that trailer that we're supposed to at least think is Night Owl. Maybe that's from my my inkling is that that's probably from the uh, American hero story because the original night owl is in that Amer- in that series yeah uh n- the night owl that we know Daniel uh, Dryberg is night owl too 
Right. Uh, so, I mean, that's probably where that came from, but who knows? Maybe we'll find be. out. So, so, yeah. So, I, I, I'm really interested to see where the series goes. Um, again, just incredible work, uh, incredible uh, writing, and really just uh, this is what Damon Lindelof does better, I think, than anyone working right now on TV is that he just, you know, he's a guy who comes from a background, a TV background uh, where he, his first big show that he ran was lost. And, you know, for all the shit that lost gets, I fucking loved the first four, three, four seasons of lost, uh, you know, and I think most people would agree at least the first two or three seasons were, you know, for the time for a network television show, pretty incredible. in the kind of mythos that they created and the, the, the really interesting uh, characters that they created and the kind of, the way that even like back then like that show came out in 04 and they had a character saeed who was uh, a muslim uh man well he was actually an iraqi soldier and he was like the whole idea was that he was one of the heroes of the show and he was actually an iraqi torturer for the for the Iraq, iraqi mm. republican guard uh so he's always played with these really interesting sure characters well regina king said like, that uh she wouldn't have done this series you know, she, she wouldn't have had signed on uh, if it was a white showrunner, if it was anybody else besides uh, Damon Lindelof. So uh, yeah. he also had a, a woman direct the first two episodes who he's worked with before in Leftovers. Her name is uh, Nicole Castle. Uh, the editing on this show, and people don't usually talk about editing as a, you know, one of the aspects of, of filmmaking, but it's, it's like literally the, the most critical uh, element. Yeah, the there, there's critical, some amazing absolutely. cuts in this um, where when they cut from the, the hanging tree to Nixonville, it's in a shot where she's walking directly away from the care, uh, the camera. And when it cuts, she's in the exact same position, almost the exact same distance from the camera moving in the exact same direction. It's just, it's like a, just amazing, um, this, this show no. just looks amazing. Like they yeah. just do such a good job uh, with the cinematography and with the editing and just really just having a vision for, uh, you know, the, the movie had such a unique visual style, you know, like it or hate it. Um, and for the show to kind of create their own unique style, but like still maintain the kind of bombastic nature of the comics, but keep it in a grounded, interesting you know grim kind of work it, it's just I, I really love the, the feel of the show like when just watching i'm just like this is just such a cool show to watch and you know um yeah i i, I lost my train of thought but i yeah i i really just I, I enjoy watching it uh i think lindelof is really good uh better than anyone at at crafting mysteries that i don't want to say pay off in the end but like just crafting satisfying mysteries where it doesn't seem hacky like that sure. that was kind of the big complaint with lost and i think that was partially because the the network was like yeah i know you have three seasons worth of material but we need you to make six seasons worth of television because this is a very well and they also profitable show for us we're trying to make him do 25 episodes every season which at the time that yeah. was still kind of the norm uh and and we've gotten away from that now it's you know luckily yeah quality not quantity but you have these these much more epic shows that people are are celebrating by word of mouth uh, online. You know, you didn't have any of that or nearly as much of that back when when Lost first came on. And it really, you know, you could see how kind of somebody who was, to those shows, you who know? was newer to filmmaking probably didn't have as much creative control. You know, and this is this was on network TV where 
you know, they don't give a shit about quality whatsoever. Um, so they, they really, you know, made the mistake. We're talking about Jag is a tremendous piece of filmmaking. <laughs> I think it's very offensive uh, to the 85 year old, uh, core demographic of Jag that you're, that you're disparaging network television yeah. like this. Um, no, but, but then you look at a show like the leftovers, which it was Lindelof's next big television project. And it obviously shares the bones of lost in that it's, it's centered around, really character driven drama and relationships and, you know, grief, things like that loss themes that he horrifying he trauma, <laughs> yeah. horrifying trauma, yeah. but it couldn't be any more different in terms of, of the, the way it was executed in that it's three seasons. It, there are 10 episodes each season. I think maybe one had 11 or one had nine or no, the last season had less than 10. I think I it was just, it was just it, eight. It, yeah. Yeah. So it was like 28 episodes total. And it's just one of the fucking best TV series I've ever seen. One of the best drama series I've ever seen on television, like point blank period. Yeah. Uh, and, and like I mentioned last week, maybe like 30 people have seen that show. But, uh, you know, it's such an amazing show. And you can see the bones of that show in Watchmen, because I think a lot of obviously he took a lot of cast from that show. You know, people like Regina King, who was just so tremendous on on the leftovers is is the fucking anchor of the show but um just a lot of the 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 very farcical and like insane out there moments occurring without anyone having like a big reaction to them it just that's it, a lot of things from this series feel very leftovers to me like obviously i mentioned the squids in the first episode like how it's just very matter of fact that people just get out of their cars and squeegee the fucking dead squids falling from the sky off of their car it just felt like a very leftovers moment and i think yeah. a lot of the shit that he learned from that series he's bringing to this uh and it's i just think it's an incredible combination so i'm so, really uh, looking forward i called the phone watching. number i called angela's phone number that she oh yeah reads is it anything uh n- no unfortunately it's just it, it says it's not a connected number and i was really mm-hmm. hoping that it would be something that it would be you know some kind of clue sometimes I, I suspect that like that. that will be a connected number at some point and that'll be some kind of a clue down like there's no reason they would give out an actual area code of a real number well unless... it's, because, it's because nobody believes 555 anymore it takes you out of the moment when when they stopped doing that about 20 years ago but uh yeah no i'll i'll, I'll just keep that in mind we'll see if anything happens uh that's unexplained at the end of the series that if you call that number yeah it's um I, I can imagine like after season one, like maybe it seems like there might be the end of the series, but like there'll be a clue if you call that number where it's like, oh, maybe there will be a season two. Um like they did with Stranger Things. Like if you call Murray's number, you get a weird message, you know, like uh if the answering machine if you call that number from yeah, Stranger Things. Shows a little bit more gimmicky than I would imagine than, than this it, is, No, for it. sure, for sure. But like it, it's not a you know it, the networks love tying you know AR stuff like that, so I wouldn't yeah. be shocked. But um, so the number for yeah. the record is five three nine one seven six two four four two, and it it doesn't it it comes up as just United States. It doesn't even come up as like Tulsa or anything. Wait, what is it? Let's go. Let's call it on the air right now and see if they've connected it. One five three nine one seven six. Two four four two. All right, let's see. Mm-hmm. Or dial six one one for customer assistance. 
Nope. Okay. Well, worth a shot. So, <laughs> yeah. Live, um, live podcasting, folks. Live pasta, live podcasting, folks. Um, so yeah, I uh, yeah, I, I mean, you know, I loved it again. I uh, can't wait to watch next week and review it because, you know, I, I the, the, when Game of Thrones ended, it, to me, it felt like there was really a void in like just absolute appointment television where I'm like, I have to watch this. I need to theorize about what the fuck is going on. I need to read articles i need to engage in online you know message boards i need to listen to pot like i haven't felt like that about a show since game of thrones ended and like it, it, it's just it wasn't that even it's that something where but still yeah no but it but it's but you know it feels longer in the grand scheme of things because when you're so used to shows like that and that kind of monoculture aspect of it, it it's I, I we talked on the game of thrones wrap up about how we weren't sure if there would be a monoculture show like in the near future. Like we, we assume there would be one. Cause like, obviously that's just going to happen. Shows going to like blow up in popularity and everyone will be watching it, but we figured it might take a few years. And it, you know, I think a lot of people thought, Oh, maybe Westworld. And then Westworld was like, eh, well, eh, you know, maybe, maybe we'll get a little yeah. too fucking weird in the second season and not, you know, and I, and I, you know, I, I didn't hate Westworld, but it's just not, is good it's not it's, it's not about anything it's the problem no. right and this show is very and they could save something. themselves in the third season with yeah. aaron paul but we'll see you never know um but um this is a show that just feels so immediately important and and interesting and um you know in, in all the right ways and you know obviously uh an extremely beloved source material so it's got an inherent built-in audience uh, and they're using that audience to tell a really interesting story about race relations in this country. You know, the original sin of America is that we were founded on white supremacy and slavery. And that's something that not a lot of shows have the balls to fucking take on in a in a show like this. So I it, to, to see it getting the traction that it's getting is really uh, positive because I think that this could become something of that nature and now obviously it didn't do nearly the numbers that a show like game of thrones did but this is a show that could find its audience in the off season and then we could see if they do come back for a season two and beyond Mm -hmm. that it could start to build an audience you know approaching somewhere near the game of thrones type fandom you know and again like i said it already has a built-in fandom so it's it's not hard to translate that into uh you know no it's, a they've got a they've got a property they've got a property and they they held off on Lindelof for years i mean they they kept approaching him every couple of years for um, pretty much since the, the you know he started before he started doing the leftovers and you know he he's given many interviews where he's finally he said like look i just realized they were going to do it with or without me <laughs> so i decided <laughs> I might as well you know i was i was going to always regret it if i someone else did it and then i was like i wonder if i could have done that better you know so yeah, yeah i i think that uh he he said he was very focused on just getting this one season out and wasn't going to consider even a second season but now that he's, you know, it's it's getting out there and getting great reviews, and people are talking about how important it is. I'm I'm sure he'll want to come back and do some more of that. At yeah. least at least two. Well, seasons. it feels like, if but it does feel like he's building towards like a spiritual sequel and remake to the original, where the whole story seems to be revolving around Adrian's plot and what his ends are, I guess will be known to us by the end of the season. So it, I bet you we will get an ending where it would be a satisfying ending. If this was just a one and done 
Mm-hmm. But I also think that this is such a rich universe that barring him blowing up the earth uh, or nuking the earth, like I, I can't imagine that this won't be they that HBO won't want to do a second season. And like you were saying, he said that like, hey, maybe I'll just give the reins to Ryan Coogler, which would be even fucking better. Like that would just be incredible. Right. Like I can't even imagine Ryan Coogler getting to work with the, this universe. That would be incredible. Right. Uh, and, and that's the visual style and writing style. The thing when you build a, a, a world this big uh, and, and you're telling a story this big and this many people are involved is that people, different people are going to bring different ideas, right? So it, it doesn't it doesn't have to sit on just one person's shoulders. Now, of course, Alan Moore says he doesn't want anyone to do anything with it, but it's like, come on, you know that's not how comic books work. You know that's not how how popular culture works. You know, if people like it and they want more of it, they're going to make more of it, especially if it makes money. So it's almost uh, his brand. Like, I feel like if he came out and was like, yeah, whatever, it's fine if they make it. People would be like, dude, what the fuck? You got to say some shit more than that. Like, I feel like it's he almost feels obligated at this point to just come out and be like, fuck them. Fuck this project. I want nothing to do with it. Right. (laughs) It wouldn't wouldn't be Ellen Moore if he weren't (laughs) unbelievably pretentious. Yeah. Um, any you know fucking tremendous writer i mean obviously watchman but the killing joke is the best i think the best batman comic ever written um you know is what inspired tim burton to make the original 1989 batman uh someone who hates comics like tim burton was like oh no i hate comics but i love uh the killing joke so Hmm. but uh in any event so and actually i just a random thought that occurred to me today i bet you we're so lucky that the DC movies suck so much ass because DC owns the Watchmen universe now. And I think they, I think it's some kind of a deal that they had. They didn't always own Watchmen, but they own Watchmen now. And what they've been doing is kind of rolling the Watchmen universe into the DC universe in the comics. So like Batman found like the comedian's button and like now they're incorporating. That's just the watch. That's just so bad. Cause it's like that, that, but, yeah, well, yeah. so think about this. They probably were gearing up to let fucking Snyder <clears throat> make a Watchmen DC crossover movie because he's obviously responsible for the Watchmen movies. And now that uh, I don't think he they have do that. No, he he loves the Watchmen no, 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 too no. much to do that. But I but yeah, but I wouldn't be shocked if they were trying to do that. And because the movies sucked so much ass that they basically abandoned their expanded universe plans that they that's not. Uh, being thought of because they were actually introducing like alternate dimensions in the whole like flash storyline with like flash, but all the shit in the movies, um, Mm. which is kind of how they bring the Watchmen in, in the comics. So like, I actually think that they were at least trying to build towards that. And I think if we got that, they might not have done the series. Like if, if, if Batman V Superman did really well at the box office and was like critically lauded, we might be fucking stuck with like grim ass libertarian Ayn Rand worshiping uh, fucking Batman and Watchmen properties for the end of till the end of time. And luckily uh, those movies suck so much ass that uh, they're redoing the Batman with a much better director and a much better uh, cast. And not that I, I love Affleck as Batman, but like but much better, you know, uh, just not Zack Snyder, which is, you know, you know better by an order of magnitude no matter who is on the other end of that and we get this amazing watchman tv series so kind of a win-win and we dodged a bullet i think yeah well another little tidbit i i heard uh that uh when they were 
talking about who they were going to try to get to do the music. Um, Lindelof was wanted to get Trent Reznor, but thought, well, he only, he only scores films and this is just a TV show. And uh, they said, oh, actually, he already contacted us because he heard about this project and he wants to do it. <laughs> so he, he actually had uh, about, he said that the, he got on it right away and had about 60 minutes worth of music already done for them before they went to go shoot the pilot. So they, they had the music already there and they would play it uh while they were on set to like get the mood of a scene that they wanted to and they said it it, it influenced how they would shoot certain scenes too so that wow oh it's always impressive when you've got you know a lot of directors will have like uh you know pre-existing music that doesn't go into the film but it's like just what they are thinking you know could possibly like a, a similar version of that will be in the film uh, so to actually have the actual music that's in the pilot and they recycle, you know, f- a few of those musical cues in the second episode, obviously, uh, especially, I love the, the John, really John Carpenter, uh, oh, the, one. that was playing when Judd was driving away from his house in the first episode. Yeah. When it's, it's the, the sinister, something bad's about to happen. The, you know, very, very Halloween esque. Yeah. Uh, fucking loved it. Little, little bit of music there. Uh, hopefully all this will get online somewhere and you can just listen to it. I, I know people have been collecting sounds- all the, all the, um, all the pop music that's been included. Uh, even people have been putting that online. They're releasing the soundtrack on on a three disc vinyl, so I'm assuming that'll also get like a digital release and you know all that stuff. So like the actual Reznor score, so I, I right. think we'll get a really nice uh, nice collection of that at the end of the season. Um, they they typically don't release stuff like that too early because a lot of the times the titles of the songs will have spoilers in them. Like especially right. Game of Thrones was very guilty of doing that. Like I've gotten shit spoiled like on game of thrones because they would release those like mid-season and they'd be like oh you know oh the uh the bells and then like the whatever and i'm like oh fuck like you know um <laughs> literally spoiling but, the, the show yeah the title track that's great yeah um but uh yeah so that so yeah i think that's such a big part of the series too is, is resner's score it really just gives it that fucking awesome like creepy like off-kilter vibe that the show needs uh to keep it balanced ironically enough so and grounded yeah so uh i you know i think i've pretty much said all i want to say about this week's episode do you have any other kind of stray observations um no i think i think we're good i mean we we did about an hour 40 last time so i don't know if we'll be able to boot do uh you know the the exhaustingly long three-hour marathon episodes we did for each episode of game of thrones but uh yeah i i, I yeah. hope we can at least do about an hour every episode we're about an hour 20 right now so uh yeah i think it'll just the the the, the uh one interview i saw there was a guy who had gotten to see the first six episodes and he said they were all phenomenal right so uh, i i would imagine all nine are going to be incredible if the, the second is as good or better than the first, then I wouldn't imagine it's going to take a dip anywhere. Originally, they said they were going to do 10 episodes, and they realized that if they did 10, there was going to be at least one filler episode. So they, they trimmed it down to nine. So that that's exciting to me because I, I, I want to have as many huge uh, things happen per episode as, as this has so far. Yeah, and I, and I appreciate it that we've gotten away. Like, I think that that's a really relatively new, but amazing kind of development is that we don't see TV series necessarily do filler episodes anymore. Like I think breaking bad was kind of one of the first shows to 
kind of start to do away with that in the later seasons where it's like you don't need oh, to you, do you don't like uh, 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 <coughs> NCIS uh, New Orleans or whatever the fuck it shows <laughs> <laughs> no fucking... but like even like prestige drama shows like would sometimes do a filler episode where it's like hey let's focus on this thir-. I mean Walking Dead is the most fucking guilty of this of all time I mean with episodes like uh, Oceanside and shit like that where it's like what the fuck are you doing diverting our attention for an hour and having making us wait a week to watch characters we could give less of a shit about do nonsense that's not going to be relevant to the plot like that's to me that's what makes people stop watching shows and i think walking dead's ratings kind of oh, yeah. have started to, i, I haven't you know, watched any of the last that and, and i haven't heard anything online about it so I, I, they probably get like their their audience is probably down to about one or two million views per episode now oh no it's, it's yeah it's dropped off significantly from its height it's dropped off like five six million like yeah. from the, the yeah. height but but that's what happens when you're when you're just focused on churning out a product rather than create creating quality. And I think a show like that used to be fucking great. And it's just unfortunately when it becomes too big of a property, certain networks don't understand how to like it's amazing to me that AMC made Breaking Bad because that's a show that perfectly got out when the time was right, didn't overstay its welcome. Um, but that also might have to do with the fact that that show had a steady showrunner who was experienced and didn't have their showrunners like walking dead's problem is that it had a million different showrunners that kept getting fired and nobody was there to say look fuck you guys this is what we're gonna do we're not gonna go beyond this many seasons we're not gonna keep you know making these like filler episodes as cash grab we're just gonna tell this really compelling story and we're gonna get out um, I think that was what's yeah. missing. Well, that and, and that falls on the producers. Then, if that's that's the kind of you know product, then it gets it gets made ultimately. Yeah, but have so. you seen like Scott Gimple? He's like the one of the sniveling fucking you know Hollywood like you know squeeze as much as you can out of this property types. Oh yeah, yeah. I've, I think I've, he's I've actually watched, watched Talking Dead. I, I know all those yeah. people. But uh, yeah. anyway, <laughs> to to wrap up Brutal. this. this yeah. So uh, no. But anyway. But this show is not guilty of that, and I'm very glad that they're not trying to artificially balloon the, the episode count to 13 or anything like that just to fill it out like there's just you know fucking tell an awesome story just tell a nine-hour movie get in and get out um and yeah leave people wanting more and i think that's the best thing you could say about any series uh, when it ends is that it leaves you wanting more so I, I i think we're gonna i hope we're gonna get that with this series uh, i certainly got that with this episode um yeah, and we look forward to seeing you guys next week. Hopefully you come back and check out our coverage because uh, we're having a blast reviewing it. Hopefully you're enjoying listening to it. Um, if you uh, like what you hear from us on this show and you want to hear us talk politics, we do that every Thursday uh, night uh, on our main show, Move Left Idiots. It's in the same feeds that you're finding this podcast in right now. Uh, we periodically also do movie reviews. Uh under the banner of movie left you'll also find that in this feed usually the icon will uh well it has its own icon so you can find it in the feed that way if you're just scrolling through uh we recently reviewed um what what movie we just do we reviewed the breaking bad movie el camino oh yes of course el camino which was fucking incredible yeah so we Uh, we reviewed el camino we also reviewed the 2016 oscar winner uh, moonlight which yeah, uh, is great. another great film. One of the, you notice on the, um, like the, the cover art or the main image of sister night from, uh, for, for Watchmen is, you know, it's like the all yellow, um, watch behind her, but she's basically all cast in like blue light. 
yeah. on, on our front and then keel it with like this red light, you know, so it really pops out. But uh, very reminiscent of the yeah, uh, I, I movie poster for the for the film Moonlight of like really using, uh, you know, like blue light or reflecting blue light off very dark black skin. Right. And as a sort of a, a motif uh, kind of similarity there. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that was, that was probably pretty deliberate. So yeah, um, check those out. We, as I mentioned, we did review the eighth and final season of Game of Thrones. That was uh, some of the most fun reviews we did. You know, if you really want to just listen to. Yeah, because we, we actually yeah, liked it. We actually liked it. And we will yeah, tell we you actually exactly why it was good. <laughs> we actually enjoyed the things. We don't just watch them that shit on them on Reddit, you know, for, for four hours after the uh, episode airs. Um, so yeah, no, if you, if you enjoyed the eighth season of game of Thrones, or even if you were kind of on the fence and you want to, you want to be convinced, go check out our review. We did like a preview cast. We did each episode and then we did a wrap up. So, you know, yeah, my, my personal know, favorite was the review of the finale. Um, uh, you know, cause with, with the, yeah, the wrap yeah, up, yeah. we were sort of reviewing the, the documentary that HBO put out about the making of season. Yeah, eight, right. Yeah. But absolutely. I think we, we made probably our best arguments for why the whole, uh, the whole, final season is actually good in our review of the finale. So if you want to just take a sample, that's probably the one to go for. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. Uh, And you know, if you want to uh, chat with us over on Facebook or share the show out there, you can go to facebook.com slash move left. We are on SoundCloud. Obviously you can share the show out from there. SoundCloud.com slash move left. You can find us on Apple podcasts. We appreciate if you rate review and subscribe, if you listen to us through there, uh, we are on uh, Patreon if you want to support <clears throat> the show that way, we, uh, which is at patreon.com slash move left. We have merch available for our uh, Move Left Idiots brand. That's at tinyurl.com slash move left merch. Uh, we are on Twitter. I'm on Twitter at move underscore left. And I'm on Twitter. It's smut collector. Many are not an OR. And we will see you next week. Thank you.